Ooh, I haven't done an intro for this in a while. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Commented Podcast. Welcome back to Deconstructing Disney here on the Commented Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the making, origin, and lasting impact of Disney films. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Mia. And I'm DeCorio. And this week, we will be talking about the, 199, the 1977 uh, June blockbuster, question mark, um, film, The Rescuers. Uh, for those of you who don't know, The Rescuers is a 1977 American animated adventure comedy drama produced by Walt Disney Productions, released by Buena Vista Distribution. It's the 23rd Disney animated film, and it follows Bernard and Bianca, two members of the Rescue Aid Society, an international mouse organization dedicated to helping abduction victims around the world. The two mice must free young orphan Penny from two treasure hunters who intend to use her to help them obtain a giant diamond. The film is based on the series books by Margie Sharp, most notably The Rescuers, 1995, and Miss Bianca, 1962. Um, this was directed once again by Wolfgang Redemann, John Lawrence B. Art Stevens. I'm pretty sure the story was worked on by the Nine Old Men. Um, starring Bob Newart, uh, Eva Gabar, uh, Joe Flynn, and Jody Page, music by Ari Butler. This is a 77-minute movie that had a budget of 7.5 million and made 169 million dollars at the box office. We will get more into that during productions and facts. Ladies and gentlemen, um, have you watched the rescues? The rescues before this? Is this your first time, um, Marin? This is my first time watching the movie. Okay. Um, general thoughts? <laughs> um, boring. <laughs> I genuinely <Cool>. almost <laughs> fell asleep watching the film. Yeah. Um, I relied mostly on my memory of watching it when I was seven and just kind of had it on in the background for like 20 minutes and then skipped to the important parts because I remembered most of the story. <laughs> um, Nia, this is your first time watching in Rescuers? General thoughts? It is my first time and mm, also boring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much else to say other than snooze, snooze, z, 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 sleep. <laughs> Corey. Um, yeah, literally the first time I had no idea this movie existed in the first place. Like I was very shocked. <laughs> And then, like, when I tried, I had to try and watch it three separate times because each time I watched it, I fell asleep, like, halfway through. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to be thankful to being a Disney baby, so, because I did not watch this all the way through. As an adult, I could not. It was too much. Oh, it was too little. <laughs> there was nothing going on in the plot. Um, so... I will not be recounting this. Usually in my style, I'll be reading the recount- the plot from Wikipedia just so you guys can get a general gist of the movie. <clears throat> in an abandoned riverboat in Devil's Bayou, Louisiana, a young orphan named Penny drops a message in a bottle containing a plea for help into the river. The Rescue Aid Society, an international mouse organization inside the United Nations, finds the bottles when it washes up in New York City. Can we just talk about how frightening it is for all these mice to be coming out of people's bags into an airport? I was just like, in reality, this is terrifying. This is how the play started. Um, <laughs> it was a, it's a very unsettling image of mice just being like, oh, we've reached our destination. <laughs> um, and they got there all by, in somebody's purse, like in your carry-on. Like imagine opening your bag and there are mice just in there. Yeah. And you don't know. 
that was the bigger part of it. Um, but to continue, the Hungarian representative, Miss Bianca, volunteers to accept the case. She chooses Bernard, a stammering janitor, as her co-agent. The two visit Morningside Orphanage, where Penny lived, and meet an old cat named Rufus. He tells them about a sketchy woman named Madame Medusa, who once tried to lure Penny into her car, and may have succeeded in abducting Penny this time. The mice travel to Medusa's pawn shop, where they discover that she and her partner, Mr. Schnoops, are on a quest to find the world's largest diamond, the Devil's Eye. The mice learn that Medusa and the Snoops are currently at the Devil's Bayou with Penny, whom they have indeed kidnapped and placed under the guard of two trained crocodiles, Brutus and Nero. Never in my life will I ever think trained crocodiles to be actually a real thing. Dumb <laughs> bitches is mean. And <laughs> real mean. <laughs> um, with the help of an albatross named Orville, and a dragonfly named Evenrude, the mice follow Medusa to the bayou. There they learn that Medusa plans to force Penny to enter a small blowhole that leads down into a blocked-off pirate's cave where the Devil Eye is located. Bernard and Bianca find Penny and devise a plan of escape. They send Evenrude to alert the local animals, who loathe Medusa. But Evenrude is delayed when he is forced to take shelter from a cloud of bats. The following morning, Medusa and Snoop send Penny down into a cave to find the gem. Unbeknownst to Medusa, Bianca and Bernard are hiding in Penny's skirt pocket. The three soon find the devil's eye within a pirate skull. As Penny pries the mouth open with a sword, the mice push the gem through it, but soon the oceanic tides rises and floods the cave. The three barely manage to retrieve the diamond and escape. Medusa betrays Snoops and hides the diamond in Penny's teddy bear, while holding Penny and Snoops at gunpoint when she trips over a cable set as a trap by Bernard and Bianca. Medusa loses the bear and the diamond to Penny, who runs away with them. The local animals arrive at the riverboat and aid Bernard and Bianca in trapping Brutus and Nero, the set um, set away from uh, set off Mr. Stoops' fireworks to create more chaos. Meanwhile, Penny and the mice commander, um, Medusa's swamp mobile, a makeshift airboat. Medusa unsuccessfully pursues them, using Brutus and Nero as water skis. As the riverboat sinks from the fireworks damage, Medusa crashes and is left clinging to the boat's smokestacks. Mr. Snoops escapes on a raft and laughs at her, while the irritated Brutus and and Nero turn on her and circle below. Back in New York City, the Rescue Aid Society watched news report of how Penny found the Devil's Eye, which has been given the Smithsonian Institution. Penny has also been adopted. The meeting is erupted when Evanrude arrives with a call for help, sending Bernard and Bianca on a new adventure. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Re- Rescuers. Reactions? <laughs> well, first of all, this is the quickest recap we have probably ever done. <laughs> in any of our episodes and reactions um i felt nothing okay (laughs) i think what really killed me is the fact that i saw the film was an hour and 18 minutes and i said perfect short and it was still (laughs) too long i was like oh my god (laughs) 45 minutes would have been great yeah Uh, yeah i kind of felt the same just very much like i felt like i was watching just anything um (laughs) was very much wanting to skip watch but needed to watch it at normal speed because we have to do the episode on it yeah yeah uh this is it's it's boring now if we are ranking this on the scale to boringness does this fall before or after bambi after (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nothing after. I, 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 I think it's definitely after yeah 
Like at least this had some like real action, you know? Right, right, right. This was um definitely after Bambi. I think it has to be before um no, Snow White was boring too. Listen, speaking of Bambi, there's there's connections with Bambi in this um that I'll talk about in the music section, but like Yeah. I like the songs, so I was like, that's a plus. Yeah. The song <laughs> did trigger memories. The beginning song, the Find Me song, did trigger memories. Like, oh, I've definitely seen this before. That definitely triggered memories. We didn't watch Mr. Kabod and Toad. I'm trying to think. This, ooh, the Sword of the Stone. These are about as equal as the Sword of the Stone for boringness to me. The Aristocrats was also very boring. It's the same formula <laughs> as the Aristocrats. Which was the same formula as 101 Dalmatians. And we will learn the production facts and that was low-key their goal. <laughs> um, So, if everybody's had their commentary about our lackluster reactions, I will jump into production facts. Um, While the rescuers did all for... So, after The Jungle Book, uh, Walt Disney had already downsized their animation studios. They were getting critiqued for their lazy art techniques and nothing being as memorable as early Disney works. This is all after Walt has died, by the way. And so, um, the rescuers did suffer the same criticism. It proved to be hugely popular at the box office. Once again, um, the budget for this movie was $7.5 million. The gross was 170 million dollars i'm gonna say that again 170 million (laughs) dollars um it was one of the biggest box offices that they had done like mind you sword in the stone jungle book were three four aristocrats was four robin hood was five um the movie made buko bucks <laughs> but my question is what kind of marketing gimmick did skim scheme did you use to get these people in like... i have no idea because i could i didn't see anything about that um so considered by its producers critics and audiences to be the film that proved that walt disney productions and animations department would survive following the death of walt disney it was the company's first magical critical finance success um, and it would be the last financial success until The Little Mermaid in 1989. <laughs> um, the film broke a record for the largest box opus games on an opening weekend. It would keep that until the release of another animated movie about mice, which was Don Bluth's An American Tale. Um, this was the first Walt Disney animated feature to inspire a sequel. Um, so this got shelved at the beginning of its production because... Um, a lot of the the origins of the story seemed a little too political, um, for Walt's liking, and so there was a lot of back and forth about what this movie should be about. And Marion will go over some of the details of that when we get to um the origins of this. Um, but the story had been revised. They were the mice were supposed to like save some political poet poet who got like captured, um, 
the mice will help a poet escape into the United States, so they revised the location change to Cuba. However, as the story became overtly involved um, in international tr- international intrigue, Disney shelved it. The film was one of the last Walt Disney classics to be animated by the members of the Nile Men. Redderman are Wolfgang. Wolfgang. I like calling him Wolfgang. I don't like his last name. So Wolfgang, while they were promoting Robin Hood, he took um Sharp Mar- Marjorie Sharp's books along with them. Um and he said there was a mean woman in a crystal palace. And when he got back to the hotel or wherever he was, he called some of the guys together and said, we've got the villain for this thing. And so the conceptual artist, Ken Anderson, began depicting Cruella DeVille, the villainess of 100 Mountain Dimensions, as the main antagonist. But as he continued to work on it, he was just like, well, I don't want to take the original artist's character who did a great job on it. So he kind of revised the character um, and renamed it Madame Medusa. And it was based on the periods of Mehet Calls, then wife, Phyllis Bounds, um, well, Ken Anderson didn't do that, but Mahek Call took over Madame Medusa, and because this is one of his last films that he did with Disney, and um, Phyllis Bounds was his ex, his wife, then turned ex-wife, who was the niece of Lillian Disney. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's Disney's wife, whom he divorced in 1978. So he made a villain off of his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On February 13, 1976, co-director John Lounsbury died of a heart attack during production. His family actually found him, passed out in a pool. Um, so because of his unfortunate death, um, they uh, ended up using Art Stevens as a co-animator. And then he was selected. Art Stevens, the animator, was selected as a new co-director. I want to check this fact real quick because I feel like they were talking about an actor who also died of a heart attack. I think the information on IMDb and Wikipedia is a little conflicting. Let me double check this real quick. Um, but this film, like much others, had a really interesting... Well, not interesting. It was just like... Even people say that this was the first movie that went on without Disney... Um, it was also, he actually was involved in, like, the beginning makings of the film. He was the one who decided to shelve it. And so, even though he never had any say in production of characters or anything, he was involved in, like, um, buying the rights and getting the movie itself into production. Okay, um, just know that somebody did pass away during production. Um, let's see. After the commercial success of the Aristocrats in 1970, the then Vice President Ron Miller pledged that the new animators should be hired to ensure a continuity of quality of Disney animated films for another generation. Once again, this is Disney Animated Studios being like, listen, we can survive without Walt. We know you guys feel like the current Xerox animation technology that they were using felt lazy, though I really like the style of animation that they were doing. Um, But so, because they want to prove to the rest of the world that they can still uh, make rememberable Disney films. Eric Lawson, one of the nine old men, scouted for potential artists who were studying at art schools and colleges throughout the U.S. More than 60 artists were brought into the training program. The trainees were selected and then to create black and white animation tests. 
which were reviewed at the end of the month. The process will continue for several months in which the few finalists were first employed as in-betweeners, working only on nights and weekends. By 1977, more than 25 artists were hired during the training program. Among those selected, these are names that we're going to probably keep saying as we move forward, Glenn Keane, Ron Clements, and Andy Gaskill, all of whom played crucial roles in the Disney Renaissance. We're all picked during this time where Disney Studios was just trying to be like, listen, Wall's dead, but we still got it. Um, because of this, The Rescues was the first collaboration between the newly recruited trainees and the senior animators. It would also mark the last joint effort by Milt Call, Ollie Johnson, and Frank Thomas, and the first Disney film by Don Bluth had worked on as a directing animator instead of an assistant animator. Ever since 101 Dalmatians, animations for theatrical Disney animated films have been done with um, zero, te- zero graphy which had only been able to produce black outlines. By the time the rescue was in production, the technology had been improved for the cell artist to use a medium-grade toner in order to create a softer-looking line. So if you go back and watch 101 Dimensions, and I think maybe Robin Hood even after that, a lot of the technology makes everything kind of look like a hand-drawn sketch with like really mm-hmm. dark outlines. But because technology is constantly improving, um, the lines in the rescuers are a little softer. Um, more fun facts Disney recalled the VH version in 1999 due to an inserted image of a topless woman it appeared about 28 minutes into the movie as Bernard and Bianca fly through the city (laughs) how did that happen? Um, I have no idea while working on the film Don Bluth noted that some of the characters did not have whites in their eyes um, colored in when he questioned the reason why he was told that it was too expensive Bluth and fellow animator Gary Goldman got their own equipment to test if it was true. They found out it was not too expensive. When they reported back with their discovery, the two were told to follow orders and do as they were told. Bluth referred to this as the straw that broke the camel's back, which would eventually lead to Bluth and Goldman leaving Disney. Now, if you remember, I said earlier that this movie had broken box office records before another um, movie, including Mice called the american tale this is also that was don bluth's work so don bluth was working at disney studios he was doing shit that would make the animation and the art better people at disney were telling him to shut up and follow orders he said well fuck y'all and then went to make a movie that broke their largest box office record (laughs) uh last fact um, the writers had considered developing Bian- Bernard and Bianca into married professional detectives, though they decided that leaving the characters as unmarried novices was more romantic. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was interesting production facts on the rescuers. I think... Thank you. The amount of money is just what shocks me. I still yeah. understand <laughs> why this... <laughs> Garden so much attention. What's the American tale? What did Don Booth make that had people being like, Yeah, we're gonna go watch this movie even more times than we watched this one? Oh, I know this mouse. Okay, I've I vaguely remember watching this. What studio is this under? Let me drop this in the chat. You guys probably know what the picture of this is. Um. So it was a battle of the mice pictures. I want to see how much money they made. Do, 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 do. 
oh, wrong chat. There we go. Yeah, I've definitely seen this mouse in my childhood. Let me actually. I do not recognize this mouse at all. You don't? <laughs> no. Or any of the characters. I recognize the mouse. I've seen the VHS of this in Blockbuster, but I do not know what the actual content of this is. I don't either. Okay, wait a second. How much was the rescuers? And let me check this again. Okay. I said 170 million, right? Maybe that was a lie. Let me check this again. Nope, not the rescuers down under. No. Okay, the rescuers. It says 169 million box office. Oh, I guess that's the worldwide. Okay. Because the American Tell just says 84 million. Okay. And how much did it cost again? American, the American Tale cost nine million to make. The film has and the rescues cost seven. Yeah, the film has yeah. grossed up to forty-seven million in the United States and Canada, and eighty-four million worldwide. At the time of its domestic release, it became the highest-grossing animated feature for an initial release. Oh, yes, I guess their initial release numbers were very big compared to yeah like there, there's the nothing else to watch like why <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the rescues has been re-released so that's why their money is a little bit bigger that's the lifetime world gross is 169 million when the original theatrical release was 48 million at the box office oh okay Hmm, very interesting. So yes, that was production facts. Um, it's interesting that this is the time where they recruited everybody who was going to be important to the Renaissance. I think that's the biggest takeaway from right. these production facts. Because the Renaissance is what we grew up on. So, And to think that this movie was big enough that it also resulted in two more theatrical releases... Like, they released some special, like, Mickey movie with -hmm. all the money that they made from this. So, this movie earned them some dough. (laughs) Which is very surprising. Which is something we obviously cannot understand. So, I'm done talking. Let's go ahead and look at music with Nia. Okay. Warning. Mayday, mayday, warning. This is a very long section. I did not expect the music to be to have this much information Mm -hmm. um so bear with me get a snack pull up a chair this is gonna be a lot (laughs) um of course i get my sources from the wikipedia um there are two newspaper articles that the wikipedia linked that are good articles i didn't access them but apparently they had good sources and it's a playground daily news 1977 article um in the honolulu advisor 1977 article um, the Disney Wiki and the IMDb. Okay, so the album, the soundtrack to the Rescuers, was recorded from 1974 to 1977. Um, the official soundtrack is only five songs, four technically, since it's just a reprise, and a reprise is just like one song continued. So it's like not really five. I count it four. One of Disney's shortest. Um, they're like these three. Let me look at the page. I have it right here. There are three more, like little if it would let me load here we go 
they're like four more little snippets of songs. One is called Faith is a Bluebird. It's not an actual song. It's a poem. Um, the U.S. Air Force song. Um, and then Penny's a Jolly Good Fellow is just a variation of for he's a Jolly Good Fellow. So that doesn't really count. Um, okay. So interestingly, this is like the first Disney film I've seen where it's like women writers mm. in the front which shocked me um producing i think is still sammy fain who's worked on other stuff but carol connors and ann robbins were the ones who wrote the the songs together um interestingly they, they both met on a double date in 1973 um carol connors was the lead of a singer when i tell you the, the wikipedia for these two is bananas because carol connors she was the lead singer of a group called the Teddy Bears in like the 50s and 60s. She co-wrote their songs, but her band member was Phil Spector. And for those who don't know, Phil Spector has the highest selling Christmas album of all time. Mm. Um, he literally wrote like the ones like Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. He wrote like a lot of he. How do I describe who Phil Spector is? He's like not a great man either. Um but watch men back in the day weren't <laughs> like um but he wrote like he created the wall of sound that's what he trademarked which was like making music sound like larger and bigger um and then he had he was married to one of the members of the ronettes um i believe i'm not the biggest 60s fan of music so i could be very wrong i think she just passed away recently but like he wrote big hit oh he wrote be my baby which is one of their biggest oh, songs i be believe hold on that no. no uh be my baby um uh i don't even remember the melody be my be my baby oh, oh that song yeah i know it's, it's like yeah. always in like movies and stuff be like my little movies. baby yeah that kind of song um uh and what else he wrote something else from them um but the ronettes were huge um they have good songs listen to them but phil specters how do you have like phil specter i didn't know he was in a in a group that's crazy um and also his christmas album there's so many songs that like are now common songs um the album sold like 60 million records don't quote me on that um carol co-wrote carol co-wrote the rocky theme song y'all the, oh. the the montage I song the, the the one where he's on no not the eye of the tiger where yeah, he's like on the stairs yeah that one yes yep where it's literally like the montage song and he's on the stairs and it's very like i'm like how did you she co-wrote that with the, the guy that's the names on the the song but i didn't bother to look who he, <laughs> who he was but it's called gonna fly now and it won her an oscar nomination um and she wrote a song that i knew with you i'm born again by billy preston and sarita wright in 1980 it's a great song and i was like what what's going on here sis was in her bag um then uh interesting i put this for fun facts for funsies in 1983 she was nominated for a golden raspberry for worst original song for it's wrong for me to love you from i think it's a movie called butterfly and i'm like oh how do you get nominated for an oscar in a raspberry we love the the duality of it all um worst original song yes worst <laughs> it's giving halle berry wins for Catwoman for worst actress <laughs> um love to see it duality we can't hit them out of the park every time but i do recommend with you i'm born again great song and they're both black so we love to see it um but i'm like how do you co-write 
the the rocky song that's crazy to me um okay and then this is so crazy the other lady her writing partner um ain I th- is that how you pronounce her name kel connors and ain robbins and yeah mm-hmm. a y n that looks so weird to me when i look at it but i'm like where's the yeah. other letters ann robbins worked as a personal secretary to actors she was just out here being a secretary um george kennedy and eva gabor who is the voice of miss bianca mm-hmm. she was a secretary for them and she just wrote poetry on the side um then their first collaboration, they composed a bunch of songs for a Christmas show for an unproduced animated film. But then um, Disney kind of offered them, you know, came in, was like, would you want to do this instead? And they were like, sure. Um, so Disney approached them to do com- composition for the rescuers. Um, I don't know if they ever did that for those the songs for that, uh, that Christmas thing. But um, then the creative process that Robbins said is that Carol plays the piano and I play the pencil. Very interesting. Um, Carol um, Connors and Robbins collaborated with Sammy Fain, who's like, you know, also has worked with Disney in the past on the song, someone's waiting for you. Um, Most of their songs they had written were performed by Shelby Flint, who's the lady we hear in all the songs. She sings mostly everything besides one song, I believe which is very different for Disney. They never just hire like one person to sing everything until Phil Collins. We, we love Phil Collins. <laughs> um, he did what needed to be done on the Tarzan yes. soundtrack, but that's, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> but, um, but like, this is like a first for Disney, I believe. Um, and then I said this earlier, but this is like two women being at the helm of a soundtrack. Um, up until now, it's just been sausage fest men 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 and now it's like oh wow two women are involved that's interesting the women thing, and they also mentioned that in the production facts that this was like one of the first disney animated movies where the main character had more of a feminist approach like she's the one who um mm. volunteers you know she volunteers to do this um this mission and the guy over the rescue is just like well you know you know this is well he's like well it's very kind of you but you know it's you know, men usually do the rescue missions and things like that. So, you know, grasping at straws for 1977 Disney, but they were making quote unquote rights in the right direction. <laughs> um, they were making stuff right. in the right direction after all that racism, which, you know. <laughs> right. I feel like it's definitely the, the, the feminist era that they were like, Ooh, we got to right our wrongs <laughs> in some ways. Um, so I see like, they're definitely trying Disney attempted. Um, and noticeably, for the first time since Bambi, all the significant songs were sung as part of a narrative as opposed to sung by the film's characters. So, like, it doesn't feel like a musical, per se. It just feels like they're songs in between the film. Um, interesting facts. My gosh. The facts were just pulling, pouring out of the wazoo. So, I don't know if y'all know, there's a group in the 70s called The Carpenters, and the lead singer was Karen Carpenter. Um, they were supposed to do the movie music for this movie, and I was like, huh? <laughs> And I, if they would have done that, that would have been like Disney getting the equivalent of like, who's a famous singer nowadays? Like getting like a Taylor Swift. And I'm not trying, Carpenter's fans don't come from, I'm not saying Taylor Swift is on the same talent singing level as Karen Carpenter. Don't come for me. Um, I'm just saying that like the fame level is like getting Taylor Swift to do a soundtrack for a Disney movie. Um, like, cause they were at the peak of their fame in the seventies. Karen Carpenter was like praised for like having one of like the most pretty voices of all time. Um, so like they were approached 
by uh, Disney to do the music. And so Karen, Karen would be doing the songs and Richard would be doing the composing, the score, but the number of scheduling conflicts forced them to reluctantly decline. And Karen was such a big fan of Disney. Wow, sadness. This could have been kind of peak. Um, and it kind of makes sense if they were trying to go in that direction of like, okay, we can't get Karen Carpenter for this. So let's make songs that sound like something she would sing. If you want to listen to her sing, um, she has a very angelic voice. Um, like if you want to listen, I put a link there. I just was going crazy with the links. I was like, here's some video evidence. Um, but it makes sense. Like you'll listen to her music, be like, ah, this kind of sounds like something that would be in her back. Um, but the performer, um, Nancy Adams, um, who previously appeared in Robin Hood, um, who sang Robin Hood um, in Love, uh, what's it, the song Love by Nancy Adams. Um, in the previous movie, she recorded a demo, but it was not used in the final film. The recording is believed to have been lost, fun fact. Um, the song Someone's Been Waiting For You um, was originally titled Needed To Be Loved and featured lyrics by Paul Francis Webster. Um, the new songwriting team for the film um, which were Ann Robinson, Carol Connors wrote, rewrote Fane's song in its entirety. Um, although for the final film version, the rewritten opening stanza um, was cut. It is unknown whether the featured vocalist Shelby Flint ever recorded the missing stanza. Two demo recordings using Webster's proposed lyrics exist, one featuring his own voice and a second in featuring Jennifer Paz. Both were released as a part of a digital collection entitled The Lost Chords, The Rescuers which some of the other eliminated songs from the film are there. Um, was it nominated for best original song? Question mark, question mark, question mark for someone's waiting for you. Like for reference, we've gone through several Disney movies with songs that have kind of been kind, more iconic. Weren't nominated for best original song. And then we get here and the nomination appears. Um, like, do I like this song? Yeah. Is it Oscar worthy? <laughs> that's why i'm like uh, academy what was going on i don't know i don't think our listeners are in there <laughs> how old did you have to be if you are in your 80s please tell us <laughs> what was going on in the water in the 70s because this is not eating the jungle book for lunch like this is not like what's happening here um and then what's crazy this is the last movie to get an oscar nomination period until little mermaid like what's I have questions. Okay. And so I had to put my opinions here because I like these songs. They're very, what do you call it? They don't sound like Disney songs. They sound like 70s songs. <laughs> they sound like painfully 1970s. Like, and I mean this in like, take a, take a song from the 70s that was on Billboard, sung by Barbara Streisand, sung by anybody anybody white um it was going to sound like this and i'm like oh this sounds like dated i don't know how to put it because of course the older disney film songs sound old but they still sound disney-esque uh -huh. does that make sense like they have that disney flair um that although they were made in like the 40s and 50s they still feel like disney songs and i was listening to this i'm like these just sound like they'd be on like the best of the 70s compilation albums like they don't feel like disney um and like they and it's a, i think they're folk songs like they sound like very pop folk um ballady like they're honestly harmless songs um 
very much they're all pretty slow songs and mint tempo songs because there's only three of them really Uh, rescue aid society is the most typically disney because it's like sung by the cast but it's like a minute and a half so i can't really count it as like a proper song but the rest are all sung by shelby flint um i like them because they're like just they just sound like 70s ballads so like i like 70s ballads but like to me they don't give me what my disney playlist needs Mm -hmm. um they're kind of forgettable like you can put it on the background but you won't recognize like oh these are disney songs um do y'all when y'all listened to this film were you like when you watched it did you think oh this is a pretty song but did you think i'm gonna download this like how'd you feel about the music I don't even remember any of the songs. Like, I didn't remember <laughs> so. I thought yeah. the music was pretty good, but it wasn't something that I was, like, actively trying to, like, Shazam right. to try to see, like, what it is. I, I was like, okay, yeah. this is a nice touch to this boring movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they sound nice, but they don't feel, you know? But No, sorry, oh, no. Tori. I was just going to say the, the beginning song just triggered memories, and I was like, oh, I know the song. I like the melody of it, but it's just like that's about it right yeah like and i'm not saying they're bad like i actually enjoy these but i like this style of music regardless it's just that it's almost like they're uh, how do i put it they don't fit in with the disney canon um to me sonically they just sound like very much of their time um they sound like something that would have been on barbara streisand's many albums in the 70s or a share album like not share like one of shares ballads or you know mm-hmm. um and the thing is i don't know how to feel about it because like if the music's good it's good but it's just not disney so if you're looking for music that's just 70s then this was probably be good for you but i don't know if you're looking for disney if you'll like this but yeah that's it thank you nia for always giving us a very good history into music because I've heard of the Carpenters. I always thought they were a band. I never knew they were a duet. Um, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, thank you. Let's go on to origin and similar stories with Marion. Okay, so my section is not as interesting as Neo's, and it's very short. But I got my information from CartoonResearch.com. The film is loosely based on the books "The Rescuers" and "Miss Bianca" by Marjorie Sharp. That were just two in a nine. That were just two in a nine book series about the characters that she wrote. The books have been optioned by Walt Disney himself, who began development of an animated fi- feature in 1962. Using the storyline from Miss Bianca, the story would have would have involved rescuing a Norwegian human poet from a glo- gloomy, vaguely Eastern European prison where he had been unfairly imprisoned. Imprisoned. The story was changed so that the mice helped save a poet from a Cuban prison and escape back to the U.S. under machine gun fire in an exciting boat chase in the Bahamas during a hurricane. But Walt was uncomfortable with the political implications in these versions. There were many revisions to the storyline. Storyman Vance Gary said that Reitherman finally complained, I just want something like a kid, like a kidnap." Like the, get, like the Dalmatians were kidnapped. That's a simple story. That's what I want, a simple story. He was frustrated and couldn't stand all the ch- changes. During a lecture at California Institute of Arts, Reitherman told the audience, so we went to another book, the res- another rescuer's book. In this other book, there's an old lady who is, very, who is very horrible to a little girl, and the mice rescued the little girl. 
Um, when it comes to a villain, they wanted a stronger villain. The character character designer Ken Anderson did a series of sketches of Cruella Deville now wearing alligator alligator inspired clothing. He felt that the audiences loved the character and that she was an experienced kidnapper. However, they thought the character was too similar to Cruella, so another cocktail party sophisticated character who was vain and had a temper was developed. And the villain in the story could have been Cruella's sister. Like it was, yeah, she was very similar. To her. Um, but that's it for my origin facts. Okay, thank you, Marin. Um, also, some of the production facts around the story—they were like really, really hellbent on making the story very simple at first like when you read the books they also mentioned that there was a um there's like this whole arc in the zoo when they go to new york and right mm-hmm. there was this whole thing about a penguin versus a lion and that these were supposed to be the connections to get to penny and they scratched it because they didn't believe that people would believe that the penguin was a strong enough villain to subdue a lion and I was just like, y'all mm-hmm. were going through lots of holes to end up with absolutely nothing. <laughs> they like, they made the most basic ass storyline and ha- and made that much money. They must have been so happy with themselves, right? Uh, which, but it's so crazy because they made money with this, but then the next four films didn't make them no money, and I'm just <laughs> confused. <laughs> the American the public water. is just. <laughs> I don't know how to handle y'all in the 70s and 80s because how did y'all love the rescuers but hey you know everything up until the little mermaid what was it oliver and company the black cauldron like y'all were just missing things (laughs) and so that's just it's so weird uh okay thank you marin um let's go ahead to critiques with uh quarry so I kind of didn't really find that many critiques online. Most of them are just reviews. Mm-hmm. So I just took um, some experts from some excerpts from some reviews I saw. Uh, first one is by Mar- Marie or Mary, Mary, Mari, 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 yeah, Mari Ness. Um, article is called "Rescuing More Than Just Small Girls and Teddy Bears: Disney's The Rescuers" from Tor.com in the year 2015. And they said, The Rescuers is not a great film. It's many other things, but not great. But it did, for the first time since Walt's death, offer the hope of something new. The idea of an action-oriented cartoon feature, astonishingly enough, in the 22 full-length animated films, Disney had never tried this before. Nearly all of the films, of course, had contained action of some sort or another. The dwarves chasing the evil queen in Snow White, the hunting sequences in the forest fire in Bambi, those poor little mice tugging that key up the stairs in Cinderella, Peter Pan and Hook sword fighting in Peter Pan, and so on. But the action had always been a subplot at best. From the outset, The Rescuers was something different. Meant more as an action-adventure film in the James Bond mold, interrupted here and there by sugary songs, again in the James Bond mold, only with a lot less sex and more mice. <laughs> I'm sorry. So you know <laughs> Wait, before you go on, did they just compare this movie to James Bond? <laughs> yeah, I guess this, they're saying this is Disney's James Bond. <laughs> I'm sorry, that took me out. I was like, 
what? I can see where they're coming from with that, I guess, because of all the action, but that is so pretty that is, funny. That was, that's, that's a reach. That's a real reach. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then the next uh, critique slash review comes from a site that I found called Disney Movie Challenge, where they basically, it's like a blog where these two people were trying to go through all the Disney movies in chronological order. So they're kind of like a blog version of what our series mm-hmm. is. Um, and so this is specifically from the member named Megan. She, they don't have their last names on there. Um, so yeah, sources, Megan, Disney movie challenge, 2021. While I do enjoy this movie, I've forgotten just how melancholy the overall tone of the movie is. Yes, it's still a hopeful story being made for children and all, and it has its moments of humor, but the music really sets this sad and somber tone. It starts right at the opening sequence with these canvas paintings of a message in a bottle traveling across the sea. The accompanying music, The Journey, sung by Shelby Flint, is a mournful, emotional, and dramatic with repeated lyrics like rescue me we get a brief jovial moment with the rescue aid society anthem which i'll admit has been stuck in my head ever since the ever since watching the film but the remaining songs sung by shelby flint tomorrow's another day someone's waiting for you echo a similar emotional tone to the opening song the songs are beautiful don't get me wrong but the emotionality of the songs really tugs at your heartstrings in a way that strikes quite a different tone than what we're used to with disney animated films I think that's why it's not one of the films I often return to again and again as a kid. I'm happy to rewatch it again as an adult, but it's not quite at the top of my rewatch list. So this person was actually emotionally affected by the film. You know, I maybe it's like a generation thing. I don't know. Because this movie didn't really mean anything to me. Like, I watched it, and I was just like, okay. Like, this, this was definitely a movie. It was definitely like a Disney movie. <laughs> It was a film. Yeah. (laughs) Other than that, though, I just, like, there was no emotional connection. Like, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, I... I I guess to the kids of the 70s and 80s, this is a good movie to them. Any Gen Xers want (laughs) to chime in? If you're listening to this, please tell us your perspective, because we're not seeing the material. We aren't, um, especially when, like, comparing this to James Bond and, like, every five minutes there's, like, hideous comedic, corny, wacky music going on in the background during the fight scenes. I was just like, this is, first of all, it took them too fucking long to get to that bayou. The golden hour for a child's disappearance is, like, 24 hours. 48 at best. Y'all took an out, y'all were taking too long to get there. And then it's just like, at first I thought she had adopted the child. And I was like, you know how much fucking money it costs to adopt a child? Of course she was kidnapped. And then holding a gun to to the, couldn't be more than t- 10 year old to her face. I was like, there's a lot just going on in this movie for nothing to be happening in this movie. <laughs> um, I guess the lasting impact on the industry is that this, the profits from this movie goes on to make more movies which gives us little mermaid and kicks us right off into the renaissance of disney um i would have no problem showing my children this movie i feel like they'd be bored out their minds but you know if you want to watch my save today i can't i'm not gonna fight you for it 
I couldn't catch any problematic subtext in this movie. I feel like for it's out of all of their movies, it feel like there was more than necessary effort put into it for the end product to be what it was. But that also resulted in them making over a hundred million dollars. So I I guess it worked. <laughs> I guess they worked smarter, not harder. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a very weird movie to watch and then research and be like okay cool like <laughs> like if this was almost any other movie I would be like okay I understand why this was kind of a little bit groundbreaking why people really like this mm-hmm. but this is like it's this, the same base plot as like two or three movies they released before this so yeah you're right it is the same similar <laughs> so yeah it didn't get my gears kicking um i think i'm gonna make an executive decision that after a little mermaid we're gonna jump into dreamworks for like one or two months because we have to do prince of egypt we just have to we have to do prince of egypt and i'm not gonna ask that we're just gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> i'm down i love that movie and the music from it so yeah because I, I feel like we're gonna, like, going to have to watch the original Little Mermaid and then go watch it in theaters to support. Mm-hmm. And so that would be a time come next, come May. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode with scores um, for The Rescuers. I'm going to give it a four. I really like this animation technique and especially since I've been watching Disney movies, the recent Disney movies as of late, like I stopped keeping up with Disney releases like five, 10 years ago. Like after Frozen 1, I was like, I don't really care mm-hmm. what comes out of Disney right now. Um, and we've talked about this before that the animation style that they use now feels like they just use the same model for their main characters, which are, which are usually women of different ethnicities. And then they mm-hmm. just change the skin color and hair. The only movie that hasn't felt like that that I've seen recently because my kids have been watching um, Disney during dismissal time is Raya the Last Dragon, which I really enjoyed. Um, but I do miss this kind of sketch artist-like drawing animation style, the 2D style of animation that they did during this time. So I really did enjoy this. Um, the animation and looking at it the music was eh, the characters were eh, so it's a four for me. Uh, for me, I'd give it a two, and I would not let my kid watch it, only because <laughs> if, God forbid, this becomes their favorite film, and now we're watching it every weekend, <laughs> y'all, like, I cannot explain how I, like, I literally almost fell asleep. I was like, no, that cannot be it. I will not introduce this movie to children. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about you, uh, Nia? Mm, I'd give it like a five. Like the music's good. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, what about you, Corey? Uh, I give it a four as well. Um, like you said, the animation was very good. The music was decent, but like the plot and whatnot and the overall movie being like really boring can't really like raise a score that high yeah. for me. So, yeah. 
yeah yeah it was it was what it was so our next movie is going to be the fox and the hound now here's the thing here's the problem though i remember this one we have the fox and the hound we have there's a 1982 version of tron yeah yeah and it the Tron that, <laughs> yeah, the Tron that came out like in the 2000s is a remake oh. or like a sequel, right? Or something yeah. like that. I didn't know that. So for animated films, we have um, The Fox and the Hound. Then we have The Black Cauldron. Then we have The Great Mouse Detective. And then we have, I think it's Oliver. What is it? Oliver and Company. This is not. I don't know why I was going to say all dogs go to heaven. That is so not. Um, that movie. But I think because these are all before the Little Mermaid, right? And we are all biding our time <laughs> until we get to the Renaissance because that's when the series is really going to pick up for us. Um, and so I'm thinking that between these four movies, if we I don't know. Either watch all four of them, or I'm going to look into the impacts of all four of them, and we're just going to pick one to do. Because the four of these movies did not make any money. (laughs) We've already established that. They did not make money. (laughs) Money was not made. (laughs) And I don't think... I feel like Oliver and Company, looking at it, it's it's based off Oliver Twist, but it looks like it's just going to be an addition to 101 Dalmatians. And so, I don't know how big they stand in the Disney canon, and I don't want to waste our time. I want us to be on time so we can go ahead and do Little Mermaid. So, we will come up with something. Is the Fox and the Hound about racism? Hold yeah. on, something just popped it's in my just, head. I don't mean to interrupt, but a, I'm like... It's based off a- of a book, and I'm pretty sure that the book was based on, like, the slave times. Let me just look at this. The Fox and the Hound... About two friends who didn't know they were supposed to be enemies. An orphan baby fox Ah, raised by a hunting dog. So, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's going to be groundbreaking. I feel like old white men in their 70s love this movie. If you get what I'm saying. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, But we will keep you guys posted. We have a very fun April planned out. Um, and plus you can always come talk to us on Twitter or commented or TikTok at comment to podcast or hit us up in our Discord. Um, but until next time, I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Nia. And I'm Decoria. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.